How many of you started down a career path only to realize it wasn't your passion or following your purpose? Today, I interview Nick Nanton. He went from immigrant child from Barbados to become a lawyer in his version of the American dream, only later to follow a passion and begin a celebrity brand agency that today has allowed him to become a 22-time Emmy award-winning film producer. Nick Nanton is an Emmy Award-winning director and producer. He's also the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Story Selling. He's produced and directed more than 60 documentaries, earning 16 Emmy Awards and 36 nominations. Today, I speak to Nick about storytelling, brand positioning, and how professionals, doctors, and medical device leaders can think of themselves as the specialist within their specialty and as the go-to expert in their chosen specialty. Nick, for people listening that may not know your story, give us just a glimpse into your story of like from there to here. Uh, all right. Well, I'll try to give you the 90 second version. Uh, immigrant kid moved to America with my family from Barbados. My family's been there in the islands for over 300 years. When I was just under one, uh, grew up in the Orlando area, ADHD kid driving teachers crazy, but I did well in school. I just was a bit hyper. Uh, I went to University of Florida undergrad in finance, finishing uh, two and a half years, went on to law school. My whole life I've been interested in, in music. Um, I, from law school, uh, in law school, I got a big music job that disappeared. Uh, my business partner now, who's been my business partner for over 20 years, uh, encouraged me to bring my skills from the entertainment world into the business world. I did that. We created our agency. We've helped over 3,000 clients in 63 countries with their branding and positioning. Based on the success I had there, I was able to go back to the entertainment industry. And for the last 10 years, I've directed over 65 documentaries, and I've been uh, a country and pop songwriter most of my life. So there, that's the short version. I think you've answered that question before. <laughs> right on the spot. You clarified it. It's great. So- Right here on my good sit-to-stand desk, I have a copy of Celebrity Branding You. And I know that in the book, you've introduced this system for entrepreneurs, for professionals. And our listening audience are specialty doctors and medical technology leaders. So they're professionals. And they each have a desire to become the go-to expert in their field. Give me an overview in a way that our listening audience can understand of how important it is to become a go-to expert in their field, and then the methodology and the approach that you've developed. Sure. I mean, the, the main thing to understand is that um, 
especially I use the examples of the people who the fields you're in the medical field all the time, because even when I'm not in the talking to people in the medical field, because I, I say, look, first of all, people don't know what you know and where you came from. You might feel like you talk about it all the time, but typically you're doing it in one-to-one presentation. So you feel like you're saying it all the time, yet most of the world doesn't know. And I say, so just think of it, for example, even if you had to pick a brain surgeon, like, do you know what, how to pick one brain surgeon over the other? You, you don't. And in fact, have you ever even for a single one of your physicians ever even gone online and tried to verify that they're board certified? Like we don't do that. And so what you really need to do is display your expertise to the world. You need to be doing it through multiple forms of media. So I talk about branding, but when I break it down, a brand is nothing more than a story and branding is simply storytelling. And a great brand is a story that your clients and prospects in the world want to share for you in order to give them the information to share your story, to share your brand. You need, you must become, you know, the old school days we called a publisher. Now we probably call it a media outlet. You need to be publishing media. Media is simply a medium for sharing your story. So now we have all these, especially since the pandemic, I mean, there's no one, I haven't heard a single person say to me since the pandemic started, it's probably my only thing I like about the pandemic is that, uh, I don't, I don't like being on camera. I don't, I don't look good on camera. Like it's just over. Mm -hmm. Like we're all on zoom every day, all day. So you have all these things from live streams and podcasts to blogs. And I mean, even writing books and, and there's so many different types of media that you can use to share your story. But what you need to do is start finding ways to share your story because your story is the only thing that not only no one else can duplicate or, or even they can try to emulate it, but they didn't live your story. But the more you realize and start living the story that you have been given, the more you will show up as the perfect solution to your ideal client and prospect, because ultimately they're looking for someone that, that, that they feel like is an expert that would understand them. And as you start sharing the different aspects of your life and your story, just like I did for a brief 90 seconds at the beginning of this, you know, people start to understand where you came from and start to say, Oh, that, that that's my person. Just like we all see people on TV, we, we, or in tabloids or whatever it is. And we, we like them or we don't like them. And it's typically based on the story we've been told or the story we paid attention to the story they published. So the, the whole key to building a brand is simply telling your story. But in order to tell your story, you need to start using the media we have been given to start sharing your story on a one to many, uh, on a one to many platform, which will allow people to engage with it one to one. Yeah, I love how you answered that because my next question was over this concept of fitting in versus standing out. And how do we explain that standing out doesn't have to be flagrant self-promotion? Anything to add to that that maybe you haven't covered in the previous question? Yeah, well, one thing I love, I mean, I think the one of the realizations I've had over the last few years is, you know, when we're kids, we do everything we can not to stand out. However, what it is that makes us stand out, those innate God-given talents are what make us the most successful we could possibly be in the marketplace when we embrace those and use the positive traits of those characteristics. Um, beyond that, um, 
Yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan of self promotion myself. Now, what do you classify as self promotion? That could be that could be arguable, but I mean, you you won't hear me introducing myself as a 22 time Emmy award winning director who's written like I, I you know that's what bios are for. That's what that's what third party written stuff is for. Press releases, other things like that. You need to make sure that you're out in the marketplace and that's that stuff is visible to you. Like I do so many interviews with people like yourself that it's growing my brand and your introduction to me allows the world to know who I am without me ever saying it. So when you're doing a good enough job of sharing valuable content with the world, other people will promote you. You don't have to do it. One of the chapters in your book, celebrity branding you it's entitled putting your story behind your brand. What's the biggest mistake that people are making in this important step? I would say not honoring their true story. I mean, we, if I were to tell you to divide your life up into thirds, let's say, and at this point, let's just say probably grade school would probably be one, you know, maybe up through high school. That's typically like, you know, formative moments. There'd probably be college and maybe early career and then sort of where you're at now or the past decade or, you know, you could decide how, what makes sense to you. It doesn't really matter. And then you go back and you write down your five most positive experiences you can remember from that time and five most negative for all those thirds. You have 50, uh, you have 30, sorry. You'll have 30 experiences, 15 positive, 15 negative. And I can guarantee you that the things that you remembered, both positive and negative, are instructing the way you live your life every day right now. And you need to deal with them and leave them behind or recognize them and bring them with you. Ignoring them will never help. Uh, I'm very good friends with Jack Canfield. Jack is the you know, mm-hmm. creator of the Chicken Soup of the Soul series. And Jack was talking to me one day and he said, hey, Nick, I know this pre-pandemic. He said, Nick, I know you fly a lot, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, you know, do you fly normally sort of the first five or six seats in the plane? I was like, you know, I try. He said, yeah, I, I thought that about you. And he sort of laughed. He said, well, if you were sitting in, in the seat, getting ready to take off one morning to go to a speaking event or whatever, and a very cute little three-year-old hopped on the airplane, dressed in a pilot's uniform, and he was invited up front. And you you think it was really cute. He's probably going to go get the wings from the stewardess and come back. But when the door closed and you heard that sweet little three-year-old voice say his name and saying, I'm going to be flying your plane today, would you freak out? I was like, why, yes, I would. He said, well, that's what most of us are doing every day in life. We are letting, you know, the, the, the thoughts and emotions and, and the things we never dealt with of our, you know, our infant self pilot this multi-million dollar machine that we have our bodies. So again, we need to go back and deal with it and leave it behind or go back and recognize it and bring it with us. I think most people don't do that. Yeah. Great example. So Nick, you teach us the importance of developing a distinct brand platform. I'm particularly interested in this approach you have. I'm simply coining it authorpreneurship self-publishing, publishing, certainly within your agency with your clients. Because you see, my initial contact to you and your agency was through my best friend, Dr. Brian Cornwall, who reached out to your team and who went through the publishing process. My question is, why is publishing a book valuable today in this digital and social age in which we find ourselves in? 
There is a uh, there is a status and a prestige one gets with a book that there are a few things that can add up to that same amount of stats and prestige because I think it's because we've all, I mean, we've all been educated to some extent or the other, and we've all had a lot of interaction with books. We've been, we've been taught whether we think about it or not, that a book is the, is the expert is the end of the line, you know, whatever for, I mean, that's just subconsciously inside of us. And so, you know, the, the interesting thing about it, as the digital world has grown, most most pundits guessed that the uh, that books would die out essentially, and the the printing of books would stop, and we would go majorly to ebooks, um, which has not happened at all. By the way, uh, audiobook consumption is hugely up, but ebooks really are still in in a very uh, infantile stage of growth. People just don't seem, most people don't seem to love the interaction with them. So, but either way, whether it is a physical book, which you can drop on a desk or point to how thick it is and people can see how much, you know, it's a very tangible expression of your knowledge. People also know, especially if they haven't done it. And if they have also the 10, like the level of commitment and discipline it must take, or if they've done it, that it does take to put out a book. Uh, and, you've now articulated your viewpoint in a way that you have, I mean, I don't want to make it sound this way. I don't think I've said it this way before, but subconsciously they're thinking you must be prepared to defend it. And so people who don't stand for anything or, or just speak out of both sides of their mouth, you, you clearly aren't that person because you published a work that is, you know, your best practices, your opinion or whatever it is. Um, I also would say that, you know, there's multiple types of publishing you talked about. Like we have what I call a hybrid publishing company. There's self-publishing, go directly to Amazon's create space or what do they call these days and just upload your stuff, upload your designs and publish it self-publishing um, or go to a local printer if you want and have them printed. Uh, there is, uh, there's traditional publishing of, you know, a McGraw Hill, a Penguin Random House, whatever. And then there's like this hybrid in between. I'd say we've meet the hybrid of sort of the, the best of both worlds, the con- worlds, the control of self-publishing, but the clout of a, you know, a, a team that's done published thousands of writers. And so what I would say is there's a space for all of these, but I find that most people get the most out of either self-publishing or hybrid because you don't have to wait for someone else to say, Oh, I believe you too should publish that book. Yo, know, um, again, I'll get, bring another Jack Canfield quote into it. Yo, know, he, he quotes the Walt Disney quote often. If you can dream it, you can do it, but he'll even know it. It sounds a little cliche. We've all heard it. But in this instance, if you've been given the dream, if you've been given the idea that you should publish a book and you've thought it through and you think it's a good idea, well, you may or may not find a publisher who thinks it's a good idea. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That just means it doesn't align. It wasn't their dream. It doesn't align with their dreams. Doesn't mean it's a bad idea. So I'm very often in, I'm, I'm not opposed at all. In certain cases, publishing things with major publishers makes sense, but I feel like there's a very small percentage of content that fits their agenda. Uh, and that's what it is. That doesn't mean the rest of the percentage and the things that you want to publish to to make your position, your status, you know, known sh- uh, shouldn't be published just because it doesn't fit their agenda. Yeah, I love what you said. There's great alignment in that. Uh, stop waiting for the approval of someone else to be able to publish that which can help people. So I love that. You know, I saw what seemed like this catalyst of 
of of you within an agency aspect to becoming this 22 times Emmy award winning film director and it just seemed to me as i was watching from the outside looking in that you just hit a certain point where you said we're going to start dramatizing and telling compelling stories across different platforms amazon and other channels can you take me to that kind of epiphany or moment which has now been led to my friends and I and so many thousands upon tens of thousands of people are watching the documentaries in which you produce. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I just started going through uh, when I made my first documentary, I just knew that film was a medium that was really, uh, emotional and immersive. And so I just said, Hey, I want to make sure, uh, I, I want to try to use this medium to share stories that otherwise may not have been shared. So for instance, um, you know, I've, I've now had the opportunity to share the stories of Peter Diamandis of the X prize and the first private, you know, uh, space flights. And I've had the opportunity to share Jay Abraham's story and Brian Tracy and Jack Canfield. And, and part of what I'm doing is creating a digital library of mentorship for the next generation of people like me and you now know mm-hmm. about you, but when I was a kid or even young in my career in college, like I didn't have access to the people I have access to now, the Tony Robbins of the world to just ask a question or to learn from. And a lot of cases I couldn't afford to go to their seminars. I could maybe buy their book, but I couldn't afford to go to their seminars or buy their products. And just in, I have tried to create a body of work that is an immersive way for people who are, uh, who maybe aren't big readers or don't find it, uh, fascinating. I'm not at all downplaying reading. You should do it, but it's what it is. So not everyone's going to get it from a book. So how can I take these same people and bring their concepts and their ideas to life so that, you know, people like myself, when I was younger or when I was ready for it and maybe couldn't afford or didn't have access to these people, I could still learn from them to, you know, to, to make my impact on the world uh, greater. And so that's really what I, that's the reason I set out to do it. And I thought film would be a way that wasn't being done nearly enough in a lot of the circles I was running in. You and your team are doing it so well. And I'm not saying that just to blow smoke here. I've watched all these documentaries. In fact, I had a conversation with Brian Tracy. We've got an office right across the street from his oh, yeah. office. And uh, what a gentleman. What a yes. what an interesting man who's just so thoughtful and his daughter. And um, anyways, uh, just I love your documentaries. Well, thank so, you. Brian's a great guy. Yeah. I've heard it been said that video is the sales rep that never sleeps. So how would you explain the importance of video to our audience, which are those brain surgeons, which you talk about orthopedic surgeons, spine surgeons, how would you explain the importance of video, both personalized and professionally developed video to help differentiate one's personal brand and potentially attract not only more awareness authority, but also even more ideal patients or clients? Yeah. So um, I would say also, by the way, that blogs and articles and podcasts are also the salespeople that never sleep. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't downplay. It's just, it's media. Media is a medium for sharing your story. And it, when you publish it, as we talked about and referenced multiple times earlier, it, it, it lives out there for you and does the job while you're sleeping. So, um, so that being said though, I do think uh, video, not, not only is it the highest quality of content, meaning if I start with the written word, like a book, if I want an audio book, I have to 
then go and read it. If I want a video version of it, I then have to go film it, make a documentary, whatever. Well, if I start with video, I can then use the video. I can then distill it down to pull the audio from it and use that other places. It's just audio. And then I can also have, I've already done the hard work. I can have it transcribed and use that as an article or have a writer listen to it and write an article based on it. So, uh, but I will say that video is the most engaging form of content because even, you know, audio, at least, you know, on this podcast, you can hear inflection. That's super helpful because we know tone and inflection get lost a lot in text, whether that's a, you know, a literal text uh, on your phone or in an email. We've all had that happen many a time or written something. We didn't mean it the way it came across to the other side, but people, you know, they don't always hear the tone you hear in your head um, for better or for worse. Audio, you at least have inflection. Video adds a whole other dimension, a third dimension, literally, that people can see your mannerisms. I mean, we know as human beings, you can look at someone with their posture and tell if you think they're arrogant or whether you think they're a huckster. You can look, you can see the way people's eyes tick. You can see, even if you're not trained to these things, I'm not. I, you can read people pretty well based on your, experience, your previous experiences in life. Video allows you to do the best of all of those things. Now, that being said, a lot of people are nervous to get on video, and I totally get it. Again, less nervous now than they were, but still self-conscious about it since you're on video all the time. But here's the thing. One of the things I encourage you all day long with is, and I'll use an example I've, I've from mentoring songwriters over the years. I'll typically have someone come, you know, here's, I'm a songwriter. I'm a public songwriter in Nashville. I've had some big artists cut my songs and other things like that. And they'll say, Hey Nick, I have a song or I was introduced. My uncle introduced you to me to you. I want you to hear the song and I'll ask him, well, would you like honest feedback or do you just want me to tell you I love it? And if they say, <laughs> if they say honest feedback, I say, okay, I will give you that honest feedback. And typically the honest feedback is, um, typically there's some things that need to be done for it to reach the level of commercial success. If that's what they're trying for and ask those questions. And they're typically disappointed because when you create something, you're so excited, especially if you create in your mind, what's a complete song, two and a half, three minutes of, you know, typically they, a lot of times they don't even know about structure of verses and chorus and all that, but whatever it is, it typically, there's some work to be done and they're usually will sort of either literally or figuratively hang their head a little bit or their tone of their voice will drop a bit. And I'll say, look, if, if I told you that that was the best song you were ever going to write and you could never write a better one, would you be excited or depressed and think about it? Like, don't, and they're like, well, I guess in the end, I like, I would be mm-hmm. depressed because I'm hoping I could do something better as I get better. I'm like, well, that's the whole point. And my same point with this, like you have to start using video. The whole point is yes. in if you've done your job, well, six months or 12 months or 10 years from now, you're going to look back at your first video and you're going to cringe. That is human nature, but without doing it, you're not going to get any better. So I'm certainly better on video and podcast now than I was. I mean, even two years ago, certainly. I mean, I, I still have YouTube videos up from 10 years ago that I like just like, Oh, Oh my gosh. But it's just, that's just part of growth and life. And by the way, as cringy as they were, it makes me a real human being, right? If I delete all that record of myself online, it doesn't allow people to, to like you have to actually experience my growth. And by the way, people experience your growth and you include them in it and they feel like they get to come along for the ride. They somewhat feel responsible for it and they become cheerleaders. And so it's just part of, I, I just encourage everybody. It's just part of, just part of the world we live in. It's okay. Uh, but until you get out there and start doing it, you're never going to get better. Yeah. I really appreciate the way that you answered that. You had mentioned audio and then even audiobook. in the audiobook that 
I listen to all the time, storytelling, which you created. You teach us that storytelling is this act of selling your product or service through telling a story. And it puts a human angle to something that traditionally is dry and a boring concept of selling. It connects people together. Do you have a favorite success story from developing this book? Uh, it's a great question. It's also, by the way, I sometimes cringe at the book title now because it's really not, I mean, it does sell in the business marketplace, but I'm not actually a huge advocate of, well, selling is necessary in so many aspects. I mean, it makes the world go round, but, but it gets perverted a lot of times into like, just a lot of people think that selling is me getting you to do what I want you to do, which is not at all what it means. You know, selling to me really... Uh, is serving. Like, let me, how can I help you get what you need? And if I can provide that for you, let me provide that for you. And you're now in a better place than you were before. So I, I, I want, I like to make that distinction. I, I don't think I had that distinction when I wrote that book. So that's fair. Again, you go back and you cringe because you have more experience. So that being said, my, I think my favorite, my favorite concept, I don't know if I have a favorite success story, I mean, I have a, well, I have one I'll share in a second, I guess. But the idea of when you tell a story correctly, there's actually a chapter in the book that talks about how to win an argument. The best way to win an argument is to not argue, is to tell a story with a, with a known outcome. The outcome is known. It's already happened. And then you as a storyteller get to articulate the circumstances which made said thing possible at the end. And so there's no argument. You literally said, here's, here's the story. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's the outcome. And so therefore I want, and if you can go back, you can, if you want, you can go back and recap it. Therefore, what I want you to understand is this outcome was possible because of thing one, thing two, thing three that I told you about in the story that you don't, you don't argue. You literally just tell the story and it does it for you. Now, what, I mean, one of my favorite stories, I was, I was with a, a client of mine, Dr. Harry Adelson, who I shared his story of, of stem cell, uh, you know, treatments. And, you know, he, he told me that anyone who watches his movie, um, is in like, like, and his treatments are thousands and thousands of dollars. Like if they will take the time to watch my movie now, if they can't afford it, you know, he, he does have some programs for that as well, by the way, he's a really good dude, but he's like, it's just, it tells them everything they need to know to trust me and to understand what I do. And then just to do business with me. Now, what a great tool. <laughs> what a great tool. He said, it's, mm -hmm. it was one of the best investments he's ever made in his business career. That makes me smile. Um, but beyond that, I really just want people to understand uh, what storytelling is good for. And also just the idea of, of serving and being a solution is really how you sell. Yeah. I really like the way that you frame that. Uh, our healthcare brand agency has worked in different technologies to include stem cells and the cardiac space, et cetera. And you're right, especially with the technology that our clients are using storytelling as such an interesting way to demystify concepts, make it practical, a series of next steps for people to understand. So I appreciate the way that you answered that. No All right, Nick, last question or questions. Let's call this the lightning round. Okay. So uh, you as a lawyer, less is more, you know how to do that so well anyway. So less is more on the response of this lightning round of questions. So here's the first question. Do you see any encouraging patterns from successful professionals that we should know about during the pandemic? I see that those who've been willing to step in and serve 
their their clients, their marketplace, and just in general humanity, but we'll talk on the business level, in uh, been willing to step in and serve their clients regardless of whether it's how they used to serve them or not. And and they're willing to step in and serve. They By doing that, they become the most valuable people in the marketplace to their clients, whether any money exchanges hands now or not. The amount of people I've seen do that is encouraging me because that is what will breed the next version of your business, whatever it is. If you just held on, did all the same old things or just waited, uh, it wasn't getting you anywhere. But I've seen an awful lot of people step in and serve and help however they could, uh, which is very encouraging to me. What's the saddest experience which you had to learn from? The saddest experience which I had to learn from, man. Um, I, I, there's a, I could give a lot of examples because thinking the number one saddest would be interesting. Um, I, I will say the human trafficking work I've been doing, the documentaries recently, um, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of experiences that have blown my mind, opened my mind up to wanting to share that message. Uh, and then I'll, you know, if I pointed to one, the first experience I had when we, uh, you know, we were filming and we worked with, you know, special forces and, and the Haitian police force and special forces there to, to, uh, we filmed them raiding and locking down the largest organized crime, you know, sex trafficking ring in Haiti and freeing some young children uh, was a moment that will never leave my mind. Great documentary. Love it. And I'm going to provide links in the show notes section so people can go directly to what we're speaking from. My last question, if you were to compare your own successful story to a movie, Interesting question for a filmmaker. Which movie would it be? Uh, I, I got to take a cue from my my buddy, and I did his documentary now too, which makes it even more fun. But Rudy, I mean, I you know I've been told so many times why things weren't going to work. I mean, I even put Rudy on Broadway uh, as a one man show, and we sold it out. I'd never directed a Broadway show, and I was working on it with someone else prior to Rudy. And uh, the guy told me that I was either—I'll paraphrase—I don't remember exactly, but he told me I was either. Uh, the smartest person he'd ever met or the biggest huckster he'd ever met. And he'd met an awful lot of smart people. So he did not want to participate in the Broadway show with me. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you literally have to sometimes take a beating, like a moral beating when you don't even deserve it. And we still, we pulled it off. We did everything we said we we're going to do. The audience was thrilled. It's, you can also, you can watch Rudy's documentary and the Broadway show. We filmed it and put it on Amazon prime. Cause we plan to just do it one night only. Um, so I'd have to say Rudy, you know, just, you know, and we've we've all been in the in those places where you've been told a million times you can't do it, but it's awful nice when you do it and it feels good and you're doing it for the right reasons. And certainly, uh, uh, Rudy's that that guy in that movie for me. Nick, we're grateful for who you are, and we're grateful for why you do what you do. Thank you for taking this time to be on the Brand Rounds podcast. That's my pleasure. Thanks for the great questions.